Today is Palm Sunday. We're moving into Holy Week, the, the last seven days of Jesus' life as we contemplate all that Jesus has done for us. Uh, I, I feel like today we've got to just lay the groundwork for what will happen next weekend for Easter. And I'm so excited about the message already for next, next weekend. I wanted to preach it this weekend, but I, I'm trying to save it. I'm going to save it for next weekend. Um, but this weekend, we're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, probably, if not, the most popular Scripture in all of Scriptures. If you don't even go to church, you know this Scripture, and that is John 3.16. All right, so let's put up John 3.16 on the screen, and, and if you got some, hey, if you got some notes, wave them at me so I can just see it. Come on, all right, all right. I get my preach on, just wave that a little bit, all right? That'll let me know. Um, John 3.16, it says this, it says, for God so loved, come on, underline that in your, in your notes, God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Come on, everybody say it. Gave. He gave, he gave his only son, not his sixth son, not his fifth son, his only son, he gave his only son that whoever, what? Believe. Come on, say it a little louder. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I want you to listen to me. If the entire message of the Bible could be summed up in one verse, you're looking at it. The entire message of the whole Bible, if, if somebody was to go, man, what's the Bible all about? Well, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever, that means whoever, anybody, if you believe in him, you will have, you will not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel message is summed up right here in this one verse. This is the gospel, by the way, summed up in one, one nice little verse for you and I, John three sixteen. Hey, let's pray before we go any further. Father, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've already done in our hearts this morning, preparing us through this time of worship. And now as we move into this time of the word, I thank you for this church. I thank you that they value the word. I thank you, God, today that your word will speak. It is your method of speaking to us today. So God, I pray that your word would go forth, that you would help me to communicate all that you want me to say today. And God, that you would prepare the hearts God, may we have open hearts to receive what you have for us today. God, we also pray more than anything, Lord, that you would help the saints to win a Super Bowl this year. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Come on, anybody got some faith? We're going to need a lot of faith for that to happen, all right? This verse says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't just say he loved the world. It says that he so love the world. I, I don't know if we can really even put a context of explaining what it means like to so love somebody. How many parents I got in the house? If you're a parent, raise your hand. Okay, all right. All right. How many grandparents I got in the house in here? All right. I've heard grandparenting is way better than parenting. Is that true? Is that true? Come on. You so love your grandkids and you so send them home. Come on, anybody in here? Yeah. You're like, hey, my grandma, she would always do this. My boys, I'd be at her house. We'd be at her house late, late at night. My boys would be sleeping over at her house, and we are getting ready to leave, and I see Joel walking through the living room with a bowl of ice cream. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, my grandma's name is Pete. Pete said I could have ice cream. I'm like, 
Oh, really? She did. I walk up into there. Pete, what is going on here? You letting him have ice cream? She was like, it is milk. <laughs> Come on, any grandparents in here let your kid, grandkids have some ice cream and then send them home? Okay, so... Anyways, my grandparents loved me. I was the, the firstborn. Come on, any firstborns in the, in the blaze? I was the firstborn. Yeah, everybody else is jealous of us, so that's all right. That's okay. We were the firstborn. We were also the test dummies, though. Um, but we were the firstborns in our family. So, of course, we got all the love, all the adoration. We got all the family photos because, I mean, no, they don't take family photos of the second and third, fourth kids. It's only firstborn. We don't even have pictures of Joel. I mean, it's just... <laughs> It's Josiah. I'm just kidding. He's on that band. So anyways, my grandparents, they loved me. I was the, I was the oldest grandson, still am. Um, and, and so I, they had a lot of time with me before everybody else. I always felt like my grandparents, like I was their favorite. Um, I, I still feel that way. I still let all of our other brothers and sisters know that I am the favorite. <laughs> And the way that I communicate that I am a favorite is just by how they showed how much they love me. When I was probably in 11-year-old, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around that, that time, I, I tried out for tackle football. First time I was ever going to play tackle football. So um, we, of course, had our first game. And my grandfather shows up to this game, of course, as expected, ready to cheer me on. But I look over at the sidelines to see where my parents are, my grandparents and everything, and I see my grandfather cheering me on with a shirt that has my picture on it. <laughs> like the picture that I took for football with the pose with the ball and stuff. Like he had that printed on a shirt. Like this, and my grandfather's like 6'4". I mean, this was like a 3XL shirt. I think it was almost life-size. I was... I, mean, I was only 10 at the time. So, of course, my friends are like, dude, is that your grandpa? I was like, I don't know him. I have no clue who that is. He is a stalker. He's been stalking me from all over. He loved me. He loved me. He loved He would drive up. When I lived in Dallas, him and my grandmother would drive up to Dallas just to come to a basketball game and then drive back down to Houston after the game was over. Just to, come on, how many of you know that's love? He just loved me. And, um, and so that's, I, I just, I grew up in a home like that. I really was loved really well. And then, of course, I had my own children. I have three boys. And, and how many know when you have your own children, the first, especially when you have that firstborn, I mean, you are so in love, right? I mean, you're posting pictures constantly. I got to block all of y'all that have your firstborn. I mean, I'm done with your picture of your kids. How many know you're sitting there, they're laying down in bed and you're just watching them? Hey, baby, what are you doing? I'm just, I just, I love this baby. I love this baby. I mean, now my kids are older. I wake up and they're watching me. <laughs> How many of you have ever woken up to a kid staring at you in the middle of the night? That's freaky. I don't care what you say. I have, I have literally peed in my bed from my boys. Dad, what? <laughs> so, it's crazy. I'm hungry. It's 3 a.m. All right. This is, but I, I think that's the, probably the greatest way we can explain what it means to so love something or someone. But really, honestly, we still pale in comparison about how much God so loves you. I want you to write this down. Write this first one down. God so loves you. 
God so loves you. God, God never stops watching you. He's like the stalker parent looking over his child, always checking in on them. God's always watching you. And you know why that is? Love. Love is the driving force. It is the motivating factor of why God created you and me in the first place. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he desired to be with them and to love them and for them to love him. That was the whole desire from the beginning, was that it would be a loving relationship, that God would so love his people and his people would love him. This is the motivation for why God does what he does. And God so loves you. If there's anything, I want you to walk away from this place today is I want you to know God so loves you. Now, I know for us, that's kind of hard because we feel like we maybe are unlovely or unlovable. I want you to see what this verse did not say. Put, up, put, put that verse back up for a minute. It says, it says that, for God so loved the world. Now, I want you to notice what it didn't say. It didn't say, for the world so loved God. See, in our day and age, the only time you really love somebody is if they're lovable, if they deserve the love. But the Bible says that God so loved the world. Every religion will tell you that your relationship with God starts with you. But that's not true. You know our relationship with God starts with him loving us, not us loving him. Most religions will say, if you're good enough, then God will love you. If, if you do enough good stuff, God will love you. If you'll stay away from all those bad things and don't break those commandments, God will love you. But Christianity is the exact opposite. That even when you were furthest away from God, he loved you. He pursued you. He, come on, how many of you are thankful for God chasing you down, pursuing you, loving you? I want you, to, I want you to write this down. There is nothing, nothing that you can ever do that will make God love you more than he does right now. Some of you, that, that's a, that itself needs to be a revelation. I pray that God gives you. There is nothing, nothing that you can do that can make God love you more than he does right now. They say, well, yeah, of course he loves me. I'm in church. <laughs> he doesn't just love you because you sit in church. He loved you when you sat in the bar. He loved you when you sat in that prison cell. He loved you whenever you were running away from him. There is nothing. Everybody say nothing. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he does right now. And it's overwhelming all throughout scripture. There's 66 books in this, in this Bible. 66. 44 authors. Written over 1,600 years. So people that didn't even know each other wrote this book. 44 authors. 66 books. And they all say the same thing. They all talk about how much God loves man. Now, religion will tell you that man's got to love God. But Christianity tells you God loves man. God initiates with man. And I want to show you that in a story. 750 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, and we celebrate with Christmas, there was a man of God who was a prophet meaning that he could hear from God and he would tell the people of God what God is saying. His name was Hosea. 
Now, God had spoken to Hosea many times, and one day God spoke to Hosea and told Hosea, Hosea, I need you to do something. Hosea says, God, you got me. What you want? He says, I want you to get married. He says, amen, I receive it. Come on, any, any single people in here? I receive that. All right. He said, wait, there's one little twist, though. God says, I want you to go find a prostitute and marry her. Wait, say what? You want a what? I want you to find a prostitute, and I want you to marry her. I, I mean, God, I'm a man of God. You know that, right? Like, God says, I know. I want you to do this. So sure enough, Hosea goes down. I mean, where do you, where do you find a prostitute? In prostitute places. Um, <laughs> the red light district, okay? And he finds, a, he finds a woman, and her name is Gomer. Now, number one, problem number one. You don't marry anybody named Gomer. I mean... And I'm sorry if anybody in here is named Gomer. I apologize. If your middle name's Gomer, your parents should have been slapped. Um, <laughs> unless it's a family name. But anyways, her name was Gomer. And he finds this prostitute named Gomer, and he marries her. They have three kids together. And over the coming years, she comes out of prostitution, gets married to this man. They have kids, and for the next couple of years, things are going incredible. She is an incredible wife. She is an incredible mother. I mean, God literally is changing this woman in phenomenal ways. And of course, Hosea is like, God, thank you. You know, I mean, now he's beginning to see why God had him marry a prostitute, you know, save this woman out of all the stuff. And I mean, it's a good thing. But one morning, Hosea wakes up, leans over to give his wife a kiss, and Gomer gone. Well, hey, y'all know where Gomer is? And come to find out, Gomer went back to prostitution. She goes back to the life that Hosea had pulled her out of. Can you imagine, first off, how Hosea feels? Can you imagine how the kids feel? Hey, Dad, where's Mom? What do I say? And so here he is. In probably somewhat of a denial, devastation, hurt, all of this stuff, his wife seemed to be doing great. Now he's gone back to a lifestyle that is so shameful. And so he's, he's having this conversation with God, and God shows up on the scene, and God has a little bit of a conversation with him. And I love this because you're going to see a little bit of what God does. Look, look, with, look with me in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Look what God says to him. Then the Lord says to me, this is Hosea speaking, go and love your wife again. Wait, say what? Yeah, I want you to go and I want you to find Gomer and I want you to love her again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover. Now here's why I'm doing this. This is why God's telling Hosea to do this. Because this will illustrate that the Lord still what? Loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So this is what he tells them to do. I want, I want, to, I want you to read this. A scholar said this. Other than death, let's put this on the screen. Other than death, 
The burial and the resurrection of Jesus, undoubtedly the story of Hosea and Gomer, is the greatest demonstration of God's love in all of Scripture. So aside from what we're going to celebrate next Sunday, Easter, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this story that we're talking about right now from scholars, they say this is the greatest demonstration of God's love for people, is this story right here. So let me ask you this. So God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to go find your wife and I want you to love her again. Where do you go find a prostitute? Well, back in the same place he had got her in the first place. You got to go to the red light district. You got to go to the brothels. Can you imagine what he's got to do? He's got to go back into the city and he's going around and going, hey, um, <clears throat> hey man, come here. Hey, have, uh, hey, have you, you, seen, you seen Gomer lately? Oh yeah, dude, I've seen Gomer. Shut, shut up. That's my wife. You see? Yeah, man, I, I think she's, uh, you know, down, down that street, take a left, I think she's in that now. And he's got to go around, he's, he's asking, imagine, a man of God's got to go and begin to ask all of these people where his wife is. And not only does he go and ask where his wife is, uh, he finally finds her. And when he finds her, what ends up happening is, guess where he finds her? She is in the sex slave industry. She's been bought already. She's already been purchased by an owner. And so I want to show you what ends up happening here when he begins to find her. I love this. I love that God's love doesn't wait for you to come to home. It goes after you. Come on, anybody in here glad that God's love pursues you? God's love finds you? God's love comes after you? Doesn't wait for you to come back home? Doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up? And that's what love is. Honestly, this love that we're talking about is love that says, hey, even if you turn your back on me, even if you break your commitment with me, even if I, you find yourself in a dark place, I'm coming for you. And that is what we celebrate this Easter, by the way, is that Jesus' love is coming for you. It's coming for you. His love is pursuing you, chasing you down. Why? Because he so loves you. And so he finds her. He finds her in this sex slave industry already bought. And look what it says in the next verse. So I bought her back. Wow. I bought her back. He asked the guy, how much, hey man, how much for my wife? Can you imagine, first off, what it must have been like for Gomer when Hosea walked into the room? Hosea walks up into this room, and can you imagine? She's gone back. She has betrayed him. She's hurt him. She's gone back to the thing that he saved her from, and he walks into the room, and can you imagine the reaction on her face when her husband walks into the room of her being with the man who bought her? And he looks at the man and says, I want her back. How much for so he buys her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. A measure of wine. Hosea didn't give because he had to. He gave because he wanted to. Write down the second thing. God so loves, he gives. God so loves, he gives. You know, you know Hosea... The, the word, the, the name Hosea actually means salvation. It's actually what it means, salvation. Y'all know Hosea represents God. Y'all know who Gomer represents, right? 
us. We are the gomers in this story. God is the salvation. God's love finds us. That's why he says, Hosea, go find your wife and love her again. Because I'm going to show to all of Israel that even though they run from me, I still love them. And today, come on, how many of you glad that God finds us? Not only does he come and he finds us, not only does he love us again, but he buys us back. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus doesn't buy you back with some silver. He doesn't buy you back with some barley. He don't buy you back with some cheap old wine. Guess what he buys you back with? Look at me in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this. For you know that God paid, he paid a ransom for, to save you from the what? From the empty life. Can I tell you right now, some of you know exactly what this is right now. You are living in this right now. The empty life is the life where you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in every other thing except for God. And you find out that when you get what you wanted, you hate what you got. You think that next guy is going to be better, or that next car is going to be better, or that bigger job is going to be better, or that more money is going to satisfy. And then you get what you wanted, and then you hate what you got. Because you realize it never was meant to satisfy you. Everything that Jesus has is meant to satisfy you only. And he says that he paid a ransom to save you from this empty life. And it is an empty life without Jesus. And you inherited it from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver or barley or wine. No, let me tell you how Jesus gave to you. He paid, which they lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Is anybody in this house thankful for the precious blood of Christ that was sinless and spotless for you and me? He didn't give just some wine and some stuff. He gave his life to buy you back. And one of the greatest ways to measure, listen to me very closely, one of the greatest ways to measure how much God so loves you is to look at the depth of the type of people he gave his life for. Because we need to look at the characters that he paid for. So look with me in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. It says, while we were still, what's that word? Come on, you have to help me out here. While we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us. Come on, how many glad for that? He shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Come on, still jacked up, still messed up, still hurting. God shows his love for us that he dies for us. Christ died for us. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Let's look at the four people, the four types of people that Jesus gave his life for. Number one, weak. Weak people. Weak people is someone who has no ability to help oneself. Weak is someone who has no ability, no resources to be able to help themselves. So let me ask you this question. Because I know 
Religion will tell you that you can fix yourself up. You can do enough. You can pray enough prayers and you'll get better. You can do enough and things will get better for you. But I'm going to tell you this. Listen, why would God send his son Jesus to die the most gruesome death on the planet if you could fix yourself? You ever thought about that? Why does he got to die if you can just fix it? If you can help yourself, if you can fix yourself, then why make him go through the most gruesome death? The reason he's got to go through the most gruesome death is because you're too weak to fix yourself. Y'all with me? Weak. Here's number two. Ungodly. Ungodly. Someone who only thinks of oneself. Someone who thinks of oneself. Ungodly. How many of you know people that only think of themselves? How many of you are sitting by somebody? No, no, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> don't even look over at them, okay? Don't do that. All right. We all know people who only think about themselves. You got employees. You got bosses. You got friends. You got family. Maybe a spouse. That only thinks of themselves. That only thinks about themselves. The Bible says that ungodly people are people who only really think about themselves. It's not that they think about God. They don't think about other people. They only think about themselves. That is ungodly. Here's number three. Write number three down. Number three is sinners. Sinners. Sinners are someone who has broken the law. Someone who has broken the law. Anybody in here lied before? Okay, I was about to say, every hand better go up or you a liar, all right? Anybody cheated? Taking something you shouldn't have taken? Okay, we all, we all been there. We've all done something. Any law that we have broken immediately makes us a sinner. Sinner! Welcome to our Savior's Church. Your pastor just called you a sinner. And weak. And ungodly. Oh, and number four, you're an enemy. Oh, oh, that crossed the line, huh? Okay, I see. Hey, it's just the Bible. It's not me. The Bible says that we are enemies of God when we don't know God. We haven't surrendered to God. And an enemy is someone who's hurt another. We have enemies. But do you realize we've also been enemies? Anybody in here hurt God before? I guarantee you have. I guarantee you have. Let me ask you this question. Would you die for your children? Would you? If someone came in and they were trying to attack your children, and would you give your life up for your child? Yeah. Okay. Would you die for your spouse? <laughs> Y'all are exactly like the 9 a.m. service. I said children, they're like, yes. I said spouse, and like, mm. I mean, it depends what was going on that night. I mean... If he was in one of those moods, I'd just be like, you know what, take him out. I got insurance, you know. He'll be with Jesus. You know. Y'all are wrong. I'd die for you, baby. Uh, take notes, guys. Um, so, yes, most of us. Most of us would die for our spouse. Let me ask you this, though. Would you die for the person that came in and molested your kid? 
No, you definitely wouldn't do that. Would you die for the person that hurt your wife or hurt your spouse? No. Would you die for the person who is slandering your name all over the city, saying false accusations about you? No, you wouldn't. But Jesus did. Jesus died for his enemies. He died for the ungodly. He died for the sinners. He died for the people that hurt him. Now, here's the, now watch this. Not only, not only does God give to those who murdered his son, he makes them a part of his family. Is that not insane? Think about somebody that would come in, do something to your child, and not only do you forgive them, you say, hey, you want a, you want a room in the house? You want to come in the family? This is what God has done for you and I. We were enemies of him. We were the ones that were not wanting to have anything to do with him. We were the ones that honestly murdered him. We were the ones with our sin. And not only does he give his life for our sin, then he says, hey, you want to join the fam? And then watch this. On top of that, on top of that, if God did something so huge for us when we were his enemies, watch this. How much more will God do for us now that we're in his family? So if God loves and forgives and so loves and does all this for his enemies, how much do you think God so loves, forgives, and helps those who are now in his family? Because you are now a son and daughter of the king. Grace is the goodness and kindness of God to undeserving people. See, the problem is, though, that we have is we think we deserve it. And so the cross for us is not that big of a deal because we don't think God really had to pay that much of a price for our sins. But I'm going to tell you right now, every sin, no matter how small or big, and really there is no small and big in God's kingdom, sin is sin. It's broken the heart of God. Every sin demanded to be paid for, and Jesus was willing to pay for every single one of them. Now, religion, if you were raised in church, you may have been raised in a religious place. And there is a difference between religion and the gospel. There is a big difference. Now, let me show you the difference. Religion will tell you to clean up your mess. You need to clean up your mess. Man, if you're struggling, if you're addicted, if you're, you need to clean that up. And then once you clean yourself up, then you can come into our church. That's what religion will tell you. You can't bleed on this carpet? No, no, no. No, no, no. You go bleed somewhere else, you get fixed, and then you come into here, and then we'll let you in. That's what religion would tell you, but the gospel will say, hey, Jesus will clean up your mess. Come on, how many of you glad you can come up into this church and bleed a little bit on the carpet and know that Jesus still loves you and he'll clean you up? Come on, I've never seen anybody walk into a hospital and they're like, hey, you're bleeding everywhere. Stop that. Go get that band-aged or something and then come back in here. No, listen, they triage you as soon as you walk in. They don't, they don't condemn you. They're just trying to heal you. Hey, let's just get you fixed. Come on. And I'm going to tell you, OSC continually needs to be a place where people that are far from God, that are bleeding everywhere, can walk in and go, my marriage is a wreck. My life is a wreck. I'm strung out on drugs, but I'm here. And I pray you feel so welcomed if that's you. You can bleed on these carpets. I love that there's so many spiritual blood stains all over these carpets. But you ain't going to stay bleeding. We're going we're gonna to help you. 
And Jesus is going to clean you. He's going to heal you. And we're going to get you in a better place. But you don't have to stop bleeding before you come. Religion will tell you that though. Religion will also tell you you got to do more. You need to do more. You know, you need to go pray these five prayers and you need to go read this and you need to go give this and you need to go serve this and you need to go do this. And if you do all those things, then God will love you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says, no, 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 Jesus did enough. That means if you don't serve one more time in this church, you don't give a dollar to this church, if you don't pray one more prayer or fast one more thing or read one more scripture, Jesus did enough. Now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen though. When you find out how much God loves you and how much he's done for you, it'll go from you not having to do it to you wanting to do it. That's a difference. And then religion will tell you you need to hide and run. You need to hide and run. The gospel says, no, you just need to confess and come. Religion will say, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I've messed up. And so, man, I can't go back to that church, man. I can't go back to those people, man. I can't tell, can't tell them what's really going on. And the gospel says, hey, no, you know what the cross is? The cross is God's way of saying, everybody needs help. That's what the cross is. The cross is a depiction of Jesus going, you are sinners and lost and weak and ungodly and enemies. And I so love you. And so when you find out that you have a father who so loves you, when you mess up, guess what? You want to run to him because you know he can, he can clean you up and he did enough. Come on, this is good preaching right here. This is where it's at. Number three, let's wrap it up with this. Is God's gift of love is received, not earned. Let's, let's put John three sixteen back up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, what's that word? Believes. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We believe in him. The gift of God's love to you and I is not earned. It is received. Any parents in here, your kids, um, if you got younger kids maybe, uh, like going to Chuck E. Cheese? Any Chuck E. Cheese people in here? Yeah, not many of you. I know. We try to stay away from that place too. <laughs> you can't though. Uh, there was a time when Joel was younger, when, when he was really struggling with his disease, he, he couldn't, couldn't go to Chuck E. Cheese because of germs and kids and all that stuff. And so we had code language in our, in our house for our older boys. When they wanted to go, they'd call it Bucky B's. They'd be like, hey, can we go to Bucky B's? And I'm like, talk to your grandma, you know. <laughs> we can go to Bucky B's. Chuck E. Cheese was a big deal. How many, back in my day, it was Showtime. Y'all, anybody remember Showtime? It was creepy little showbiz. Still creepy, whatever it is. It's animatronics. But I remember going as a kid and now even going with my, my boys. Now it's like all electronic. They got like debit cards and all this stuff. Like, I like the tickets, old school tickets. Come on, how many of you, you went, you played $300 worth of skee ball to get them tickets. And then you take those 5,000 tickets you've been working from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. for to go to that counter and be like, bam, what can I buy? And they're like, you get a popsicle, you get a rubber ball, you get a, you get a little action figure. You're like, that's it. I'm sorry, that's it. I'm like, take my tickets, I'm going to take them somewhere else. Now imagine I grab all those tickets and I whisk off and I'm like, you know what? Daddy needs a new truck. And I drive over to the Chevy or GMC or Ford or wherever place and I go and find a really nice truck. And I go, man, I like this truck. And they tell me how much it is. And let's just say it's $5,000. That'd be nice. But let's say it's $5,000. And they go, would you like this truck? I say, yes, sir, I'd like this truck. And they say, how will you be paying for it? And I go, bam, 
Chuck and Cheese tickets right there. 5,000 of them. I worked nine hours on the ski ball for this. And the, the guy, of course, would begin to laugh, call all of his employees over to look at this crazy man that's trying to pay for this vehicle with 5,000 Chuck E. Cheese tickets. Sorry, sir. That doesn't work here. Get yourself back to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, the reason I bring that up is because religion will tell us that if you do good enough and you, you clean yourself up and you make yourself better, that God will love you more. And it's like we come to God and go, God, here's all my Chuck E. Cheese good tickets of things that I did. And God says, that don't matter to me. That don't work here. We're going to get to heaven and think that our Chuck E. Cheese tickets are going to get us into heaven. And God says, no, that don't work here. The only way you get into this place is you got to believe that Jesus did it all. You can't win enough points to get into this place. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. And the gift of love has to be received, not earned. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll wrap it up with this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't what? You can't take the credit. You didn't save yourself. You didn't clean yourself up. You can't take the credit for this. You know why? Because it's a what? It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. We can't get to heaven and give God all of our Chuck E. Cheese points for all of our good deeds that we've done on this earth. And God goes, okay, that's enough. Because here's the question. When's enough? When are you ever good enough? At what point? Because I feel like I'm always like, okay, I'm good. And then wasted all my Chuck E. Cheese tickets on other things. There's, and I just want to ease all the burden off of you. God loves you. His grace is in your life when you believe you can't take credit. It's a gift from God and it's not a reward for good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. Where we are today, if you are saved, if you love Jesus, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he's done in your life. You can't boast about that. It's all because of what God's done in your life. When it's, when it's birthday times, when we have to buy gifts for people, I, I, I'm... I'm one of those guys, I, I wish I put a lot of thought into birthday gifts. I just, I don't as much as I need to. So I'm just letting you know, if you get a birthday gift from me, it's probably a gift card. Just letting you know, it's what it is. I go to Walgreens, look on the little racks, say, okay, what do I think they would want? I get any other gift card people in here? Don't, don't put me out there all alone. <laughs> Only two of us, okay, everybody else thinks of thoughtful gifts. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm a gift carder. I've learned that, honestly, these stores love gift card people. Last year, over $1 billion went unredeemed in gift cards. Whoa! And all the businesses are like, cha-ching! Now, I'm going to just let you know, no gift card gets unredeemed in my house. Every gift card gets used. Um, but there's a lot that are out there that get unredeemed. The Bible says that salvation is a gift. And a gift ceases being a gift when you feel like you got to pay for it. 
So if I went and I got this gift card and I gave it to you for, you know, your birthday or anniversary or whatever, said, hey, just happy birthday, and you go, hey, how much did that cost you? And you try to pay me for it, and I said, whoa, whoa, hold on, no. That's a gift. Happy birthday. Like, well, but how much was it? You don't have to do that because it's a gift. The only thing that you have to do is to receive it and use it. Listen to me very closely. Salvation is a gift. And all you got to do is receive it and use it. Redeem the gift. Jesus already paid for your sins. Stop paying for them yourself. He already paid for them. And he's giving you and I a gift card saying, salvation is free. It's a gift for you. Will you take it? And if we receive it, we'll be saved. If you're enslaved, God will buy you back. If you're lost, God will find you. If you don't know where you're going, God will bring you home. If you're sick, I believe God will heal you. If you're walking with shame, I believe God will cover you. If you are bound in addiction, I believe God can free you. This is the God that I serve. This is the God I want you to serve. This is the God who so loves you. I pray today you walk out of here. Maybe your spouse doesn't love you right. Maybe your family, maybe you're growing in a family where that wasn't said much. I want you to know today, God so loves you. And he so loves you, he gives. And he doesn't just give barley and wheat. He gives his son Jesus. And he shed his blood for you. And he's coming for you. He's coming for you.